Industry Focus is brought to you by PayPal Credit. Summer is here, so make the most of it by booking your travel plans or purchasing your favorite gadgets with six months special financing on purchases of $99 or more with PayPal Credit. Learn more at paypal.com slash fool. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, July 26th, and we're running through earnings reports from Snap and Facebook. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Evan New on Skype. Evan, what's going on? It's been a little while. I've been on vacation. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, my uh, brother just had a baby, so that's fun. We're going to go visit Boston in a couple weeks. Oh, what's the plan while you're there? I was there for five years. I know the city pretty well. Uh, I don't know. He just moved there, actually. His wife got a new job, so they just moved from Brooklyn to Boston. Um, and we have some other family in the area, so we're kind of familiar with the area. Didn't Probably not as experienced as you are, but yeah, it's always a fun place to visit. Yeah, check out the public gardens, maybe uh, walk along the Charles, do some outdoorsy stuff. We're going to go down to uh, Cape Cod, though. My Part of my family has this like humongous house on right, right on the beach on the Cape, uh, which is just like amazing so probably go hang out there for a little bit too you know i have never gotten to the point in my life where i've had a friend who has a beach house one day (laughs) one day i will get there until then i will use the public pools in washington dc um evan when i come back from a vacation i am often scrambling to come up with a topic to talk about especially on a short week like this i got back uh, on wednesday need to do an episode on friday the beauty of earnings season is that there's always a story when companies are reporting earnings yeah it's always stuff to do how is the philippines though the, the Philippines was great. Um, I, I think I ate some of the best pork I've ever had in my <laughs> life. Uh, the lechon game in the Philippines is absolutely incredible. Um, danced some Zumba with my girlfriend's aunts and uh, her parents, which was uh, definitely a first for me, but seemed to endear me to her family. So I was putting the charm on. I was trying to do what I could, and I think I managed to survive the trip. Well, that's, that's what counts. <laughs> um, all right, we are talking some earnings releases from some big tech companies today. Why don't we kick things off with Snap, uh, the ephemeral messaging company? I always love using that little descriptor, so popular. The stock is up over 20% since the company reported earnings uh, after the bell on Tuesday. Revenue is up 48% year over year, which is actually an acceleration and its best growth rate since Q1 of 2018. Of course, the company is still losing money, but losses narrowed from 250 million uh, to 250 million from 350 million a year ago. Evan, I think the real story and the reason that people were so excited with this earnings report was the user numbers that Snap posted. Yeah, I mean there was really a lot to like, and I've been pretty hard on Snap, you know, historically as you know. <laughs> but I mean, you know, if you look at their results relative to guidance, I mean, they really blew it out of the water. I mean, they're you know put up almost 390 million in revenue. Uh, adjusted EBITDA was negative 79 million only, you know, but their guidance uh, had, you know, predicted only sales of upwards of 360 million. That was the high end of their guidance, and they expected adjusted EBITDA to be negative 125 to negative 150 million. So, you know, they were really able to to outperform their guidance by a pretty substantial margin here. And what really drew those numbers up was some additions on the daily active user side and increases in revenue per user. DAUs were up 13 million sequentially, which is the most they've added in a quarter over the past three years. Uh, And it also pushed them over the 200 million DAU mark. Uh, What's the driver there, Evan? So a lot of that's really, you know, first of all, that is really impressive, like in terms of just, you know, 
how many they were able to add this quarter because, yeah, it's been a really long time since they've been able to put up such a strong user growth number. But that was really being driven by, you know, this revamped version of the Android Snapchat app, which has always been really bad. It's just, just, you know, bad performance, buggy, just not a good experience. And they've been focusing on really improving that on the Android side over the past year or so. And you can tell that that's really paying off. But on top of that, they've put, they're putting out more of these augmented reality filters, uh, for example, this gender swap one that's been going viral over all over the internet, you know, people, you know, being able to turn them, switch genders based on this augmented reality filter. Uh, so a lot of these things are really bringing people back into the platform, keep, keep keeping them engaged, uh, and, it, and, they're, and it's showing in, in these user numbers. I think it's easy for us to underestimate how important Android is on a global scale in the United States. Because you look at smartphone market share in the US, it's about 50-50 between iOS and Android. But if you take a step back and you look at the global market share, iOS only has like 15 to 20% of the smartphone um, operating system market share. And so, really, if you want something that is truly global, if you want hundreds of millions of users, you need to nail Android. Right. And if you look at particularly, more specifically, like emerging markets, their share is even higher. I mean, like you said, globally, Android is around this 85% figure. But if you look in, you know, specifically emerging markets like India, Latin America, uh, regions like that, I mean, it's upwards of 90, 95% Android. So it's really critical to have, you know, anyone that wants exposure to those markets. And typically in the past, Snap has focused on what they consider the most important ad markets. So that's North America and Europe uh, to some extent, because there's more purchasing power there and advertisers are willing to pay more for access to those markets. And of course, Snap is a very data heavy app because it's sharing images and sharing video. Um, what I think is really interesting now is you look at where the growth is coming from, it's the rest of the world segment, and they are actually able to monetize this segment better than most social media companies out there. Right, and that's something you you know you mentioned earlier, which is definitely a really good point that they you know, not, they their rest of the world segment is now larger than Europe, both in terms of just sheer revenue and absolute dollars, but also in terms of average revenue per user, um, which is really interesting because most other companies uh, can monetize Europe much stronger than you know, rest of the world or Asia Pacific. Uh, and it's worth noting there is a small, you know, a mild difference uh, in terms of the reporting because, like for example, Twitter only reports U.S. Inter- international. Uh, Facebook and Snapchat both have you know, North America, Europe, and the rest of the world, but uh, Facebook also have this, this Asia Pacific segment. So for Snapchat, you know, it's kind of like Asia Pacific and rest of the world are bundled together. But when you look at the ARPU numbers, I mean, it's it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to work through exactly what's driving that, and my hunch here, and and I really am just kind of grasping at straws because it is so anomalous with what we normally see with social media companies, uh, is that most of the people in the rest of the world segment are people that are uh, iPhone owners in fairly affluent parts of what would be rest of the world. And so maybe that's some of the wealthier uh, Middle Eastern countries, um, some of the wealthier Asian countries. And so um, because they have a very low percentage of Android users currently in that segment, uh, it is almost overstating uh, the the value there, and and over time that will kind of come down. And you see that a little bit when you look at the ARPU trends here. So ARPU in North America and Europe were both over forty percent year over year growth, and uh, it was only up twenty five percent in the rest of the world segment. So it's possible that the rest of the world segment might moderate a little bit over time, and Europe might start to take over uh, and become the second most valuable segment for them. 
I think part of it is also that Snap is such a young company that they just hadn't really gotten the Europe monetization up, you know. And, and at the same time, they've been working on this rest of the world segment. Whereas, you know, if in comparison, Facebook is you know, obviously much larger, more mature, been around a lot longer. They've had a lot more time to really nail down Europe monetization. So, for example, uh, Facebook in Europe, their ARPU is almost $11. Whereas in Asia Pacific and rest of the world, it's like two to three dollars, so it's a huge discrepancy there. But I think it's it's more of like Facebook's more mature; it has been working on that market for a lot longer than Snap, whereas Snap is kind of working on both at the same time right now. A couple of other interesting tidbits from the report: uh, gross margins were at forty six percent, which is the second best margin figure they have ever posted. Uh, of course, Snap is still losing money and posting operating losses uh, this time, almost three hundred million. So, looking at all of this, the market was very excited, particularly because the user growth story came back and in in pretty big numbers. To add 13 million is pretty impressive, given we were seeing flat year to sequential or you know single digit sequential ads in some of the more recent quarters. With the spike that we've seen in shares since they reported, we are basically back to the valuation that Snap was at when it went public. And if you go back to early 2018. They're up over 200%, which is pretty incredible. Evan, when you see the last year or so for this business and you look at being back at IPO price, uh, do you see more growth for this company? Or are you kind of saying, you know what, we're, we're back to where we started? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they're definitely putting up some really strong numbers here. Uh, but at the same time, you know, being back at the IPO price, it's almost like they're growing into the valuation they, that they had when they went public, which in my opinion, they were dramatically overvalued when they went public, but now they're starting to kind of catch up to that valuation. Uh, so I, I think it's you know I'm I'm not as bearish as I used to be on them. I'm still not interested. I mean, their the corporate governance is still terrible. I mean, public investors still get no votes. They just had an annual meeting like a few weeks ago. It was four minutes long, <laughs> and you know compared to last year, it was three minutes. Like I mean, there it's just there's a lot of things I still don't like about this company. But I can't be as hard on them because they're starting to put up some you know, pretty respectable numbers. Evan, in fairness, that's 33% growth in the length of their annual meetings. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's a metric all investors should care about the length of <laughs> annual meetings. Yeah, um, I, I think I'm with you, and I think there's a good lesson here in the valuations that a lot of these companies are going public at. I mean, Snap went public well before all of these other businesses that we're seeing in 2019, all these other unicorns that have gone public. But when so many of these companies have been propped up by private equity for such a long time, and the story has been, you know, build your total addressable market, don't really worry about building a sustainable business. We'll sort that out later. Uh, they're going to run into some issues when they actually have to start figuring out the business model and how to make money because they're publicly traded. Um, we are seeing with Snap that it's taken several years for that to happen. Right, and I mean, I still think they have some challenges with you know, scaling with the cost structure, like we've talked about. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're they're you know doing a lot of good work in terms of keeping those costs in in check and under control and not kind of letting it just. Destroy the the economics of the business. And at the same time, you know, this ad business is starting to kind of mature a little bit. They're getting more self serve tools, more automated, um, you know, selling of these ads and engagement is up on some of these premium shows that they're doing. So, yeah, I mean, they're they I, I definitely think they're they're putting together a turnaround. 
Yeah, I, I think they're showing that they can monetize their users better than maybe we had estimated they could. Um, they are still going to run into some issues with their financials because they're posting operating losses, and so much of that is tied to you know the infrastructure costs that we've talked about at length on the on past episodes. Uh, and I think that that's a tough hurdle for them to get over, and that's something that I want to see with any business before I put any investing dollars behind it. You know, at core, is this something that can down the road print money? The way that Snap's set up right now, I don't see it. Right. I'm kind of with you there. All right. We are going to talk Facebook earnings on the back half of the show. But before we do, a quick word from one of our sponsors. If you have any big purchases coming up, like trips, hotels, home goods, or just about anything, you can use PayPal credit and enjoy six months special financing on purchases of $99 or more. For big purchases like these, try PayPal credit. It's a digital, reusable credit line built into your account with PayPal. It's great for big or unexpected expenses, and you can use it anywhere PayPal is accepted. Applying is easy. Just answer a few quick questions, and you'll know within seconds if you're approved. To learn more and apply, go to paypal.com fool. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. That's paypal.com fool. And thanks to PayPal Credit for their advertising support of Industry Focus. All right, Evan, uh, listeners might have been a little jolted there to hear Chris Hill's voice, but I assure you, we are back for the back half of the show. And we are talking about Facebook earnings, this company that I own. Evan, are you still a shareholder? Yep. I've been very uh, torn about my you know, being a shareholder still because I have a lot of you know, issues with everything Facebook's been doing over the past couple of years. But, you know, you know, we'd like to be long term investors, and that includes the ups and the downs. <laughs> yeah, I think, unfortunately, Facebook kind of feels like that guy in high school who you kind of liked, but had a house and had parties, and it was a good connection to have. You knew that it was something that was worth kind of maintaining, but you didn't necessarily love having that affiliation. That that's kind of how I feel as a Facebook shareholder. <laughs> you know, I know that at core there's a very successful business here. I don't necessarily love what's going on with the company, though. Right. I mean, they they just keep putting up all these really good numbers, and that's kind of what's tricky for me is because I have these moral qualms, but. I like the numbers, <laughs> so it's like it's like a moral compromise, right? <laughs> and the the numbers for the most recent quarter revenue up twenty eight percent to sixteen point nine billion, net income cut in half to two point six billion, but that's kind of due to a one time adjustment there. Right. So there's this big FTC settlement, which we can you know, get into in a minute. Uh, that really cut into their profits. The, they still put up net profits of two point six billion. Uh, user metrics. Kind of just again continuing to grow, just like every other quarter, just on a sequential basis. They just always add a little bit more, a little bit more. So right now, Facebook daily active users are now almost 1.6 billion. Monthly actives are over 2.4 billion, and they've been really trying to highlight this family-wide audience metric, which you know they've said that they're going to slowly transition and shift towards reporting towards this family number. On that front, it's you know, family-wide, which includes you know Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram. Daily actives are 2.1 million billion, and monthly actives are 2.7 billion. So again, just the, the the user bases for all these platforms just continues to grow. All right, let's finally unpack that FTC story because uh, it is no small thing to have five billion dollars chunked off of your net income for a quarter. Right. So they have they've been in talks with the FTC for several months uh, about you know all these allegations that they you know really abuse. Consumer privacy and data misuse, all the stuff that we've you know, come to you know know too well with Facebook over the past two years. 
uh, in the first quarter, they basically said, hey, we think this is going to be between 3 to $5 billion. They took a $3 billion accrual in the first quarter in anticipation. And then just this week, it was officially announced that, yes, it's going to be $5 billion, which had also been kind of widely leaked and reported on. So now they have to pick, take another $2 billion. So that's you know, $3 billion in the first quarter, $2 billion in the second quarter. And it's a new record by far. Like $5 billion going to the FTC is, is a massive fine relative to historical you know, records. The previous fine was $22.5 million for Google back in 2012. So this Facebook penalty is over 200 times as large, uh, but even even still, you know, there's some arguments that that's still not enough. In addition to the money, Facebook has to make a bunch of other changes, like operationally, which also apply to Instagram and WhatsApp. They have to establish a new privacy committee on the board of directors that will be independent, and you know, Zuckerberg will have influence on it, but it's not like something he will have complete control over in the way that he has control over everything else. Uh, the company has to designate compliance officers to oversee this new privacy program. They're going to have to submit quarterly certifications to the FTC, stronger oversight over third-party apps. You can't use two-factor authentication phone numbers for ad targeting, which is a controversy that kind of blew up last year. Uh, they have to put in this new comprehensive data security program, encrypt passwords by default, can't store them in plain text. A bunch of like small things that you know ideally will help strengthen user privacy uh, going forward. When when people say that this doesn't go far enough, are they talking about the fine, or are they talking about some of the restrictions that Facebook will have to operate under now? There's a lot of um, really good criticism about this, and, and I'm kind of on that side that thinks that this wasn't nearly enough as well. Um, so, for example, the, the FTC vote was on party lines, so there's five commissioners, three Republicans and two Democrats. Um, <clears throat> so, all three Demo- uh, Republicans voted in favor of it. Two Democrats opposed it, arguing that it didn't do enough, and they issued dissenting statements that made a lot of really good points. So, for example, Commissioner uh, Rohit Chopra argued that the penalty is not commensurate with how much Facebook has made in profits uh, by violating user privacy. You know, for example, the FTC often uses what they call unjust gains as a way to kind of measure how much these penalties should be. And for example, the the, the fine that Google paid back in 2012 was r- roughly five times its quote-unquote unjust gains, whereas there wasn't really a good methodology for how they got came up with this $5 billion number. But at the same time, Facebook's entire business is built on vacuuming up as much data as they can about you and then exploiting that data for ad targeting. So, you know, for example, Facebook can cover $5 billion with one quarter's worth of net income. So it's really like a single quarter of profits, and then you just keep on doing what you're doing. And he also knows that it doesn't change any of Facebook's underlying financial incentives or their business model to keep on doing this. So they're just going to keep on doing this. And you know, he, he argues it's basically just they're going to keep doing it, but they just have to now create a paper trail. So yeah, there's a little bit more accountability, but those incentives are still there. And you know, I think in terms of incentives... You know, the strongest measures that Facebook could get would be user backlash. You know, if users really cared about this privacy stuff and really, you know, made a, sent a message that it's not okay and stopped using the platform, I think that would be a very strong message. But quite literally, every single user metric that Facebook cares about has gone up versus two years ago. So, in a way, it tells them, hey, we don't care, keep doing it. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what happens when something's free, right? And uh, you have an algorithm that is specifically geared towards making it uh, precisely what people want. Um, it does seem like there will be half, there will have to be some operating changes to Facebook as we know it. 
Do you think that this puts some of the issues to bed for Facebook, and we can kind of move past some of the controversy and the concerns with regulators, or is there a point, maybe a couple years down the line, where we find ourselves in exactly the same spot? Because this has been a company that has managed to step in it pretty much every other month, it seems. <laughs> well, you're speaking. I mean, while you were gone, I don't know if you saw the news, but the, the remember they put out this Messenger Kids app a while ago, and the idea was that you know, young kids they want to get young kids hooked on Facebook by having the message, but the parents have appro- have the ability to prove who their kids are talking to. There was this bug in the app that basically let your kids talk to strangers. And it's just like, like you said, every week there's just something. And Facebook keeps saying that they're going to get better, they're going to do better, we're doing all these things. But then these they just keep messing it up and they keep screwing up all these things. And I think they've lost so much credibility in terms of their reputation and, you know, and whether or not people believe that they can actually be better with this privacy stuff. And so I, I I don't believe them first of all, um, and and I hardly use the platform because of all these concerns. And and that's the thing is like I'm this minority, right? Because all these hashtag delete Facebook movements come up every time these stories break. But it's clearly a very tiny minority, even if they're very vocal and say, hey, we're, we're not okay with this. But on in the aggregate, the numbers, the user numbers just keep going up and up and up. And the engagement numbers keep going up and up. So like. Again, I mean, most people clearly don't care because, like you mentioned, it's a free service and people aren't gonna willing to pay for it with money. They're willing to pay for it with their privacy, and they seem to be okay with that. All right. Some of the other stuff that came out during earnings was, of course, Facebook's guidance. Why don't we touch on that a little bit? So they increased their expense outlook again, but that's mostly because of all these this FTC um, stuff with the fines. So now, <clears throat> for example, 2019 total expenses are now expected to grow. Uh, 53 to 61 percent. That's up from the 47 to 55 percent growth uh, outlook that they provided in April. But the CFO David uh, Wenner mentioned that it's really all that FTC fine because that represents 16 percentage points of growth. So if you back that out, since it's a one-time deal and at the midpoint of their guidance, it suggests that their um, expenses this year will grow about 41 percent, which is actually at the low end of the guidance they had initially provided in January of 40 to 50 percent growth. And I think a lot of that is coming from their capital expenditures, uh, which is now coming in a lot lower than previously expected. So they initially said it's going to be 18 to 20 billion. And they said 17 to 19 billion, and now it's 16 to 18 billion. So you know this capex budget has really come down because I, I guess they're not expanding their data centers as much as they originally thought they would have to be. So they're going to save a little bit of money there. That's a little bit of a reversal from what we've seen from them in the past, right? There's been a discussion about how margins would be compressed a little bit as they were spending more. A lot of that spending was due to staffing and efforts to either up their privacy or increase um, user enjoyment on the platform. So costs coming down a little bit. Um, but that right there is kind of a perfect reason and explanation for why you need to read the conference call. You know, it's so easy to lose track of those one-time things uh, when they are masked in the larger buckets that you tend to see on the income statement. Right, and and to be fair, I mean they did say that a lot of these uh, the FTC stuff with regards to the operational changes around these privacy programs uh, will require significant investments. It's going to make their product development a little bit more trickier because they got to you know now jump through more hoops. They got to be more careful and you know, document more of the stuff, so it's going to be more costly, more time consuming. Uh, they didn't really quantify that in any way, like they didn't put pin numbers to it. Uh, but you know qualitatively, they did say that you know that is going to affect how they develop their products and stuff going forward. So, fine aside, it's kind of business as usual for Facebook, Evan. Yeah, for better and for worse. <laughs> All right, thanks for hopping on the show, and and thanks for joining me. It was nice to talk to you. Now that I'm back from vacation, I missed you a little bit. Yeah, it's good to, good to catch up. <laughs> thanks for having me. Of course. 
All right, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the videos from this podcast on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Thank you.